Welcome back to A Lonely 20-something. Ladies and gentlemen, I am upping my game. Um, I want to be better for all of you and for me. And so this is my long-winded way of saying I'm reading books now. Um, two of them to be exact. The first one is Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them by Meg Jay. And the second is Postgrad, Five Women and Their First Year Out of College by Caroline Ketchner. And to be honest, I've really loved both of them so far. Um, I've been, you know, going to a bar or a coffee shop on my weekend afternoons, getting either a drink or a coffee and just kind of cuddling up with them um, and taking notes and writing in the margins. And it is so helpful to not feel so alone, um, not only with you guys by my side, but also with real academics and writers just telling me that everything I'm feeling makes sense. Um, so if you see me quoting them throughout this episode and on my Instagram, I'm really just bragging that I can read. Um, but also I want to highlight how profoundly astute these books are. And if you'd like to join me in reading them, please DM me at a lonely 20 something on Instagram. I'd love to chat more in depth on these with you. Do also want to check in with you guys and just see how you're doing. How was your past week? Awesome. I love that for you. Um, I'm going to keep this morning's introduction a little bit short just because I have so much to say on today's topic. Now, today's topic is probably the subject I've been avoiding the most, and that's because it's probably the most anxiety-filled, confusing part of my life right now, and when something makes me anxious and holds gravity I avoid it like the plague because I get knots in my stomach and I get really scared to just explore for myself my true feelings on the subject I feel like as soon as we graduate we wear our jobs as our main identifiers if you don't believe me how quickly do people ask you what you do before anything else when your friends tell you let's say your friend tells you about you know a new person that they are seeing one of the first things that they probably say to describe them is what they do. And if they don't, that's probably one of the first questions you ask them. And this, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about what I do as a job. Um, I feel like me running around bars last year with all of my friends, embarrassing them and begging people to switch from Coronas to other beers, even on my off hours, was me embodying that, you know, what I do for work is all of me and that is my main identifier we graduate from college and somehow we become our jobs or our lack thereof and as you guys know i've let work kind of drive the past two years of my life so it's pulled me into new opportunities in cities across the country but also away from my friends family comfort and everything i've ever known so cheers to me getting even more vulnerable this week i have a feeling that this will be the longest episode yet so buckle up and let's dive in.
So first, allow me to reintroduce myself. I've talked to you guys a lot about a bunch of parts of me, but never what I do. I work for a beer company, which sounds really, really fun, and on its best days, it is. But on most days and on its worst days, it's just a job like everything else. Um, Currently, I manage a team of sales reps and draft techs for a total of about 14 people. So to add some context to the panic and fear of last year that kind of led me to start this podcast, I stepped into my first real full-time position with no sales experience. I was managing five people at that time, and I had no official manager above me. So it was a really, really, really hard transition, and it challenged me a lot while I was also trying to go through all this personal stuff. Um, And I feel like, you know, those first... First few months, first few, however long it takes to adjust, that initial transition is so hard for a number of different reasons. For one, we've spent all of our lives, for most people who attended college and even if you didn't um, throughout high school, you spend all of your life in a very structured environment where there are office hours or there are teachers who you can ask questions to and there's kind of an official you know, quiz test and everything else is kind of ungraded. Well, one of the hardest parts about stepping into the work world for me, and maybe this is just pressure I put on myself, I feel like every single day, every single interaction is a test. And there's no time to just openly be like, hey, here's a dumb question, blah, 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 blah. Um, like, you know, like office hours. Instead, you kind of are forced to put on a face that you understand what's going on and you know what's going on, especially, you know, for me stepping into the role and leading people, people were asking me questions. Um, So I had to find a way to get them answers in a way that I felt like saved face and that took up so much time and energy and and a lot of anxiety. And granted, like I said, I don't know if that's the right perception, but I feel like that's the perception that a lot of us step into it with. Um, And that's really, really hard. That's a really hard difference between school where you feel like you're kind of allowed to make mistakes before the test um, and work where, you know, every day might feel like a test. And along those similar, similar lines, I feel like with work, perception is everything. Um, because, you know, there's not an easy, you know, at the end of the semester, you take this exam and it shows your final grade and that's it. Um, I feel like, you know, in the work world, how you're doing is a little bit more up for interpretation by a number of different people, and everyone can interpret it differently. You know, your employees can interpret it differently than your manager and your manager's managers based on what information gets passed along and how you present yourself and what you're able to share. Um, So for me as a perfectionist and someone who wants to control everyone's perceptions and for everyone to think I'm amazing, that was also a really, really hard transition as well. um, Because... I think, you know, feeding into the earlier point, you want to feel like you are always on top of it and always doing everything and you want everyone else to feel that way. And the reality of the situation is that just can't be. Um, And even for people who are way up higher than you, that can't be. Um, But for some reason at work, we all have to put on a face that it can be. And finally, there's no clear path. Um, You know, at school, you finished a tough exam. That's the end of the semester. That's over. That class is done. At work, you finish a tough day and you come back the next day and you are right back in it. There's no, I'm just done with this, it's over, you know, I'm just extending myself for this one week and then I can, you know, say goodbye to this teacher, this class, whatever. Not the way the world works. Um, Unless you're a consultant or in another field where 
life may work that way. Um, but also when you leave that job or when you get promoted or, you know, whether, whether life is better at other companies is a lot, a lot harder to figure out. Um, so you don't graduate with your classmates. Your friends might get promoted more faster than you do. You might get promoted faster than your friends. Everything is kind of just out in the open, and there's so much choice and so much can happen, um, which is a lot different than, you know, the traditional school experience as well. So we're thrown into this completely new environment, and I think different companies do better jobs of supporting those transitions or, you know, giving you um, other postgrads going through similar experiences etc to make that a little bit easier um but it's not easy and i feel like a lot of people don't talk about this either um and that was something that i really 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 struggled with about a year ago after my training program and once i was finally enrolled is that i felt very alone and i felt like everything i did mattered and while i've come a really long way since then by failing and by you know crying and late nights Um, work is still probably the most important, most stressful part of my life. And the first thing I want to do in this episode is question that and question whether that is right for me and for other people and is just a rule. I don't know. We'll figure it out. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to LinkedIn's Hello Monday podcast, and they had a guest on who came and talked about his article on workism. And it is called The article is called The Religion of Workism is Making Americans Miserable, and it's on The Atlantic if anyone's interested in reading it. Um, But basically, workism is the idea that a certain sliver of the population looks at work to give them what religion has traditionally provided. So that's meaning, community, transcendence. Um, And this is a quote from the article. They are reared from their teenage years to make their passion their career, and if they don't have a calling, they're told not to yield until they find one. And as he was talking, I was like, oh, shit, this is me. (laughs) And we and the generations below us are super, super victim to this more than other generations. Another quote, what's more, in recent Pew Research report on the epidemic of youth anxiety, 95% of teens said having a job or career that they enjoy would be extremely or very important to them as an adult. They ranked this higher than any other priority, including helping other people who are in need or getting married. Finding meaning at work beats family and kindness as a top ambition of today's young people. And final quote, but a culture that funnels its dreams of self-actualization into salaried jobs is setting itself up for collective anxiety, mass disappointment, and inevitable burnout. So now that I've laid all of the facts out there objectively, I want to check in on how you guys feel about that because for me, I relate so freaking hard. I prioritize my career over everything, but some days I know that I'm unhappy because of it, because I expect so much out of my job. When I displace the rest of my life for this move in this position, I force this job to carry and make up so much for me. I needed my success, my promotions, what I learn, um my, you know, the praise or accolades I get, my work family to overcome the fact that a lot of the time I am lonely and I feel like I'm missing out on key early 20-something years or experiences that my friends are all having in these other cities. And I hate the way that this sounds because my life, honestly, it isn't bad. And I'm lucky that, you know, almost everything that's happened in my life has occurred to me by choice. I, you know, 
I'm so grateful for so much, but I had so many goals coming into this experience and none of them had to do with my life outside of work. So every day that I don't accomplish my work goals, I feel awful. Um, On my hardest days, I focus on whether I'll get promoted soon or what I can add to my resume or how this will look for MBA applications. Some days that helps, but on the days that I feel like I am not doing well, it makes it worse and I get into a deep funk. And anytime I feel like I'm not perfect at work and that everyone doesn't love me, I'm in a deep funk and that is unhealthy and it sucks. But that's not the perspective that everyone has. Um, I shared this idea of workism with one of my best friends and she related to it as well. She felt like it you know, very much embodied how she treats work and how she prioritized work in her life. But unlike me, her exact response is, I'm kind of okay with it, for now at least. Um, and that's one of the key questions of Defining Decade by Meg Jay is that you know, the 20-something experience and the way that you know, 20-somethings go through their lives in 2019 is very different than any generation before. So no one really knows what the purpose of these years are for. And we each kind of get to decide and figure out what we want to prioritize and what we want to make most important. I've literally, I cannot say this again without you guys killing me because it's probably so freaking annoying. But yes, I prioritize work and the friend I was talking to did as well. And she's really, really happy with that decision. Um, Granted, she's in a very different, you know, very different situation than me. She's lives with a bunch of friends in LA. She's close to home being from California. So, I mean, it's a different experience. But we, we each have prioritized the same thing and have come to different conclusions about how we feel about it thus far. And that's what I want to ask you guys. I want to know in the comments below, do you feel like you're a victim of workism? And I'm victim, maybe that's not the right word. Do you feel like you subscribe to the idea of workism? And if so, are you okay with that? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well because it obviously differentiates from person to person. I will say the man who wrote the article definitely felt like he was susceptible to workism and it was a huge part of his life. Um, And while he recognizes it and feels like it's really, really bad, he hasn't been able to change it. Um, And he thinks that the best thing that he can do is just recognize it um, and call it out in his own life. Um, But he had no tips or tricks for how we can all overcome this. So it's interesting to see how he concluded on that. And ladies and gentlemen, that brings me to question number two, because if work is the center of our lives and we want it to fulfill us and we believe that passion is central to that, what the fuck is passion and how the hell do we find it? Because I do not have the answers and I need to know, Sway, how, Sway. Um, My third really bad bad day strategy is simply saying well you know what this job is not my passion it's just not for me and so I just need to pack up and find a job that is my passion and then everything will be easier I will you know find a job that I can wake up every single day and be really happy to do and then I will have no struggles and no problems in life and I won't be anxious and I will feel perfect we all know that's not the case going back to the workism article The article accuses, and I quote, we've created the idea that the meaning of life should be found in work. We tell young people that their work should be their passion. Don't give up until you will find a job that you love. You should be changing the world, we tell them. That is the message in commencement speeches, pop culture, and frankly, in media, including The Atlantic. Okay, raise your hand if that gives you anxiety. And keep it there. (laughs) 
We're going to build some strength today. Um, We're going to build some endurance today. Another quote. Among millennial workers, it seems overwork and burnout are outwardly celebrated, even if one suspects they're inwardly mourned. In a recent New York Times essay, Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work?, the reporter Aaron Griffith pays a visit to the co-working space WeWork, where the pillows urge, do what you love, and the neon signs implore, hustle harder. These dicta resonate with young workers. As several studies show, millennials are meaning junkies at work. Like all employees, one Gallup survey concluded, millennials care about their income. But for this generation, a job is about more than a paycheck. It's about a purpose. Okay, so if your hand was raised, is it still raised? Are you still anxious? And if it wasn't, is your hand raised now? Because this stuff makes me incredibly anxious. And I started this year determined to find my passion. Word for word, I wanted to find something that if I woke up every day doing, I wouldn't be unhappy. And I'm not sure if that exists, but I was determined to figure out if it did, and if so, to make that part of my life. So to do that, I started asking every adult in my life what they were passionate about. And once I got through that question, I started asking them if they felt that was related to their jobs, if that had changed over their lives, etc. Honestly, one thing that I found is that they also did not know. And I guess technically, I'm an adult, so... (laughs) When I said adult, maybe I should have been more descriptive. Um, But yes, most of when I asked my parents and their friends and people much older than me, a lot of them didn't, couldn't easily rattle off the things that they were passionate about. Sometimes I knew more so what they were passionate about than what they originally said. And then I focused on the stories of really great successful people who happened upon their passions in weird and inopportune times. Like, um, what's an example? Um, okay, in my hobbies episode, I talked about a woman who found her passion for writing while doing a gap year traveling and now is a best-selling author. Things like that, like people who just one day found something they were really passionate about and then became incredibly successful at it. And then, you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, which is I romanticize that I was sent to Oklahoma to happen upon my weird passion and become wildly successful at that. So like, what if my passion is speaking on the struggles of being a young 20-something? What if podcasting is my passion? What is What if, you know, the improv classes I've joined is my passion? And then I thought, is this why millennials are so obsessed with side hustles? Like, are we chasing this idea, elusive idea of passion so hard that, you know, we're trying to find it in outside activities if we can't find them in our jobs. Um, The last thing I tried to do is I really searched LinkedIn trying to aggregate data on words, descriptions, anything that made me light up and thought maybe I could find my passion in that way. It, this word passion is all over my vision board. Like that was the only thing I was trying to really manifest this year. And actually, I just added a more recent addition to that to my wall, um, which I will share on Instagram. I now have a board that just says passion in the middle. And any time that, you know, I think of something or I realize something that, oh, I'm, this makes me really excited. I'm really passionate about this. I'll write it down on that board because I'm literally trying to piece together passion like a puzzle <laughs> and figure out what are all these things connected to? What, what can this lead me to? 
But in all honesty, I don't think it happens that way. I don't think that we really get to rush passion or that we have to figure it out like a puzzle piece. Um, And I don't think that we have to brainstorm it or chase it. I think it finds us and it makes itself known. Um, Even if, you know, when someone asks, what are you passionate about? We can't rattle it off. We know the things that make us happy and they will be part of our lives. We just have to follow our intuition. But that really brings me to my third question, which is, let's say your current job is fine. You know, you enjoy it, you get through it, but it doesn't light your soul on fire. How do you know when it's time to leave and explore other options and whether you should stay? Because I have a lot of friends struggling with the same thing. And in the same way that I romanticized all of the super successful people who found their passion and, you know, became number one at something because of it, I also started to romanticize the stories of people who I knew in my daily life who just up and left their jobs or whatever they were doing to explore something that their intuition was pulling them towards. So I met this uh, rhythmic dance teacher actually at a spa that my mom and I visited in Tucson. Um... And she was from D.C. originally, and she said, you know, she always just wanted to live in Arizona. So one day, even though her entire family thought she was crazy, she packed up all of her stuff and moved to Arizona. And she started, you know, as cleaning staff at the spa and eventually shared, you know, that she knew how to do this specific type of dancing. And they asked her to teach a class many years later. At that same spa, there was a guy who had been a wine salesman. Um, and his girlfriend had bought him a beekeeping, like maybe bees, something, I don't, whatever you need to start being a beekeeper. Um, and he was the sales person who called on that luxury spa and, um, and they needed, they wanted to start more of an eco-friendly, um, portion to to their classes and basically he came on as a beekeeping teacher and then also teaches a wine pairing class there um and he just the kind of all the puzzles pieces fell together to lead where he is today um i know you know classmates that i had one girl was working in new york and just decided that she wanted to live in san francisco so she up and left one day and then found a startup and is really really happy there I know a girl who lived in Dallas and just decided that it was important to her to be with her boyfriend in New York. So she just quit her job and moved to New York and also found another position there. So that makes me think, is that, should I be doing that? (laughs) Like on my days that are really, really hard. And at this point, I've been in Oklahoma for about a year. Am I supposed to push through it? Am I supposed to stay at this company? Is there something for me here? Or am I supposed to just be like, no, I want to be insert x city i don't know where i want to be and i just need to up and go there i just need to bite the bullet and move to new york i don't know because part of me thinks yes part of me thinks is that chickening out on the fact that you know i've been here for a year and it's still uncomfortable and i still don't it's still not home which you know it probably never will be and also is that selfish to my team when i feel like i add something to my team i know it would be I, I don't know if this is right, but I feel like it would be rude for me to leave my team. Um, 
And I am too much of a wuss to have these kinds of conversations with my manager. Um, Some days I'm like, I feel more comfortable leaving the company than having a conversation with my manager that I want to stay with this company, but leave Oklahoma. Um, It's pretty much like every other week I, you know, strongly am like, no, I'm going to be at this company for a while or strongly am like, no, get on LinkedIn. We're applying to every single job. We're getting out of here. My lease is actually up in July, which I don't know how that happened because I just moved to Oklahoma City in October, but okay. And so (laughs) I have to kind of make the decision, like, am I going to buy another 12 months here, another nine months here? Am I banking on that or do I need to do something a little bit shorter? I don't know. Um, But my company also really champions quick movement, which is why the longest I've stayed in one place is eight months maybe at this point. Um, So there's also an element of kind of feeling shitty about the fact that I'm not, that I have been here for eight months, which is also, you know, weird and unhealthy. Um, A couple of months ago, I believe that I was like two weeks away from just up and leaving and going to LA. And I believe I spoke about this on a podcast or on um, my Instagram, but you can see how quickly things change in my mind because the last time I spoke about it, I was like, and I didn't, and I'm really happy because there's so many things for me here. And now I'm like, you know, ready to up and leave again. But, um, with that experience in particular, I spoke about this a little bit, but the scary part was that, you know, sometimes it feels like the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't. Because one of my biggest fears is leaving this company and going somewhere else, hoping to settle down and have a great time there, and then realizing that I don't, I don't enjoy that either, or I still want to leave, or I still feel antsy. I still feel like it's not where I'm supposed to be. I, I don't know why that scares me so much, but I really, I really don't want that to happen. I think that keeps me really tied to where I am right now. So in conclusion... I want to really highlight about this episode that it's more of a cautionary tale than tips. So most of the things that I've said, you might be screaming at your phone like, bitch, are you crazy? You can ask questions at work. I know. I know I'm crazy. But if you do think like me, I want you to feel like you're a little bit less alone. But I do want to highlight that a lot of things that I've shared, I know isn't necessarily the right or healthy way to think about things. Um, so if that is you, I want you to know that you can ask questions at work. I, I don't mean to extra validate those like weird thoughts, but you're not alone. And second, what I have decided to do or what I feel like I should do to answer all these questions is I'm just going to follow my intuition. The hard thing is I'm not exactly sure what my intuition is telling me. As you can see, I'm super indecisive, but if you're wondering or you're thinking, you know, what is my passion? Should I leave this job, etc.? The only thing I can tell you to do is follow your intuition and that you cannot go wrong in doing that. And I know I'm a broken record. And if this podcast in any way to you feels like a pre-gaming podcast, more power to you. Um, I dare you to take a shot every time I say I don't know Um, but don't actually because then you'll get hurt and I'll be liable for it and I really want you guys to all be safe and drink responsibly (laughs) but these years are so so hard and that's why because we don't know what's going on and we don't know what to prioritize and it changes every single day but the one thing that I do know is that I want to thank you guys so much for listening this is the thing that I question most in life is whether I should be spending these years building my career or being happy. And I know that's a false dichotomy. 
But with the choices that I've made, sometimes it feels real. So thank you for letting me talk out my inner thoughts with all of you. And let me know if you battle similar thoughts below. Um, We talked about a lot. So you can agree with me on some things and be like, girl, you're crazy on others. But I'd love to hear your thoughts either way. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give me five stars. I think I only have one rating right now and I'm super grateful for it. But I definitely want to help other people find the podcast, help us grow this community a little bit and help us be able to open it up for listener letters and things like that. So it's not just me rambling for an increasing amount of time each each episode um by that same token please comment please subscribe um and if you don't want to comment and you don't enjoy let me know that as well i can't wait to catch you guys on the flip side have a great rest of your day i can't believe this is my first time adding in something last minute when i've already closed out the episode But I do want to step on my soapbox and say, along these lines, I think we should cancel summer for children. I think it only sets you up for disappointment later on in life. And I don't see why they need it. So if you agree, um, please reach out to me in my DMs at a lonely 20-something. We can get together and start a petition. Um, But I think it's really just hitting me that I'll never have another summer break again unless I get my MBA or whatever, a bunch of stipulations you don't care about. But I think um, I think it's unfair, and I just want to put that out there. Again, I'll catch you on the flip side, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Yay!